not really sure I'm supposed to preach after that. How's this supposed to go? So all of you who said tiger, I just want to say thank you. All right, hey, um, Cedar Mill, uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to change the tone here a little bit and actually get into the word. And um, aside from technical difficulties and shenanigans on the stage and poor answers about the animal Pastor Dave would be, we're going to refocus on the word of the Lord now. Father, um, we thank you so much because you're in control of all things. And we turn our hearts to you now. We turn our minds to you. We ask that as we open your word that you would encourage us, challenge us, and help us to uh, be the people that you long for us to be in this world. Uh, Jesus, may all that we say and do in this place, even just some fun, silly things, be uh, to lift up your great name and to honor you. So thanks for being our God. And uh, we give this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, hey crew, if you're, if you're new with us, we're our second week of kid-friendly summer Sundays, and we are taking this journey uh, along with Abraham, this character in the Old Testament, and we're going to be learning some things from him about what it means to be the people of God. Um, and Abraham, just so you know, is, is not a perfect guy. This is not one of those Bible characters that you look at and you think, man, if only I could live a life just like Abraham. Abraham has a lot of ups and downs. He has a number of failures recorded right in the scriptures. But then, interspersed in between those times, Abraham has these moments. He has these these wonderful, beautiful times where he shows us what it can and should look like to live like one of God's people. And in this series, we're looking at four of those moments, four of those qualities, four character traits that Abraham, Abraham has um, that we might emulate as, as uh, God's people in this world. And so each one of those character traits is assigned a different Hebrew word. And so we're looking at four Hebrew words during this series. Last week, our word, if you remember, was hesed. And it's a word that means loyalty. And we talked about how loyalty to God so often challenges our other loyalties. How when God has our highest loyalty, when he is our number one, um, has our number one allegiance that we are actually called to walk away from some things in this world. And we see that in the life of Abraham. That's what Abraham does. God asks him to leave his home, to leave it all behind and to go to this land that God will show him. He doesn't even actually tell him exactly where the land is. He just says, come and I will show you this land. Um, There's not a lot of certainty in it. And yet Abraham goes. And as a part of this this calling to leave and follow God, Abraham also receives this, this promise from God. God tells Abraham, I am going to give you a family. And that family is going to turn into a great nation. And through that nation, God says, I am going to bless the entire world. And because of Abraham's loyalty, because of his hesed to God, he leaves it all behind and he goes and he follows. And now, as the story continues, Abraham, along with his nephew Lot, has traveled to this this land God promised to show him. But as it turns out, when they arrive, the land is not empty. And Lot, who at first was traveling with Abraham, has now gone his... a separate way, they've sort of split apart. Lot is now taken captive by some some local warlords. The Bible calls them kings, but they're actually more like these tribal chieftains. These are, these are the guys. How 
are we doing? We okay? These are the guys. Oh, man. These are the guys. <laughs> I'm really gun shy up here right now. <laughs> Hasn't been our finest technical morning, let's just say. But you know what? God's still on the throne. So here you go. Um, so these tribal chieftains are the guys who are in charge of all the various clans uh, that are spread out all across this region. And now all of a sudden, um, as we approach our story today, the clans have united and they've come together and they're warring and they fight these battles and Lot is taken captive and hauled away. And that's the only accent I can do. My wife will tell you that, that if I try to do any accent at all, it always ends up Irish. If I try to impersonate Luis, you end up Irish, Luis. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's my one chance to do it because we're talking about clans. And they didn't speak Irish, but anyway. So the clans unite and there's this battle and Lot is taken captive. And Abraham, like any good uncle would do, he goes with his men and he ransacks these other kings, these other chieftains, and he successfully rescues his nephew. But now as we pick up the narrative this morning, Abraham is fearful. He's in this foreign land, he's now made some enemies, and he's afraid of the retaliation that might come from these foreign kings. And so in our story this morning, God comes to Abraham to reassure him. And when God shows up, they actually enter into this dialogue about Abraham's continued willingness to believe, to trust to have ongoing faith in God and His promise. Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read the story this morning. Actually, um, a friend of ours, Carter Gamble, is going to come up and he's going to read the story from us for us out of the Gospel Story Bible. This is the Bible that our children use in, in Cedar Mill Kids. So, Carter, open the word for us this morning and, and read our story. Abram, his wife, and all their herds and flocks settled at Hebron. That was the place where God told Abram he would have so many children that they would be like the dust of the earth. But time went by, and still Abram did not have a son to fulfill the promise God gave to him. But the Lord did not forget Abram. He spoke to Abram again and said, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram reminded the Lord that he still did not have any children. Who will carry on for me after I die, he asked. The Lord told Abram he would certainly have a son to carry on after he died. He told Abram, look up in the sky and count the stars. Can you even do it? That's how many children you will have someday. Abram believed what God told him. What God told him, yes. Um, the Lord saw Abram's faith and counted it to him as righteousness. Abram was a sinner like us, but he put his faith in God's plan. God told Abram to bring some animals to make a sacrifice. When the sacrifice was all ready, according to the Lord's directions, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Then the Lord told Abram what would happen in the future. Abram's family would end up in another land as slaves and suffer for, for 400 years. That, that After that, the Lord would bring them to Canaan with many possessions. And that is exactly what God did through Moses hundreds of years later when he delivered God's people from Egypt. Later, when the sun was completely down and it was dark, a smoking pot and a flaming torch appeared out of nowhere. They passed down the middle of Abram's offering as it was lying on the ground. The flaming torch was a sign of God's promise to Abram. Again, God promised to give Abram's children all the land around them. 
God told God called his promise a covenant, like the promise he made with Noah about the rainbow. Since God always keeps his promises, Abram could be sure he would one day have a son. All right, thanks Carter. So our, our episode begins today, and God actually comes to speak with Abraham. And this phrase, right at the beginning of the chapter, it says, The word of the Lord came to Abraham. This is a phrase that is only used one time in the entire Pentateuch, in the entire first five books of the Bible. And what's being said here is that God comes in a very clear, very assertive way to reassure this man. And he says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. And what God is saying to Abraham is, I know, Abraham, there's been some challenges. I know there's been some struggles. I know things look bleak. But do not forget who brought you here. Do not forget the promise that I made you, Abraham. And Abraham's response is very interesting because we kind of have the sense sometimes that if God were to come and speak to us in in an assertive, authoritative way, we would all just say, yes, sir, right? It's not what Abraham says. But Abraham said, this is verse 2, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham is accusing God of empty promises here. Abraham's question is this. How can you bless the world through my family, through my ancestors, if I don't even yet have a kid, God? You see, at this point of the story... Faithful Abraham, loyal Abraham, the Abraham who's uprooted his entire life and family and moved across the world because of God's promise, is now beginning to doubt. He's not sure he can continue to believe the promise God made to him. And the reason Abraham is struggling so much in this moment with God's promise all comes down to one word. And it's a word maybe you're real familiar with. It's the word waiting. You see, friends, sometimes the number one enemy of belief, the most discouraging force against our faith, is having to wait for something that we want or think should happen now. You see, a lot of time has gone by up to this point. For us, it just looks like three chapters. It's just chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, right? For us, it's just one week since Pastor Matt's sermon on Genesis 12 last week. But scholars tell us that from the time God came to Abraham, offered him the promise, called him to leave, 12 years have now gone by. 12 long years, and Abraham and his wife still have no children, And now Abraham is beginning to wonder, did I hear you right, God? Is this really your plan? Are you honestly going to come through for me? Because I don't see it. And I've got a lot on the line here. I've really put myself out there for this. Friends, maybe that's you today. Maybe you can relate to how Abraham is feeling. Maybe... For a long time, even, you've been hoping for something. You've been praying for something. You've been looking for something from God, and it is not happening. It is not playing out the way you expect it. You and God do not seem to be on the same timetable. 
And like Abraham, you're tempted to wonder, God, isn't this what you want? Isn't this your plan? Isn't this what you desire? Then why aren't we making it happen? And you hear sermons about faithfulness and trustworthiness and how God is those things. And and maybe you want to believe those things, but when you're honest, deep down, you feel just like Abraham. And you're saying, what gives here, Lord? I don't get this. I do not understand what is taking so long. You see, the question of this story is not just, will Abraham trust? The question this story is seeking to unearth, the question Abraham is asking so boldly and audaciously in this this passage is, is God trustworthy? God, I want to trust, I have trusted, but are you a trustworthy God? Are you going to come through for me like you said you would? Is God the kind of God we should put our trust in even when the evidence and the facts and the situation we are facing seems to say he won't come through and there's no way? And I love God's, I mean, I love God's response here. God doesn't always respond to our questions and to our doubts in the same way. In fact, there's a variety of responses from God throughout the Bible. But in this moment with Abraham, he responds so graciously. God puts his arm around Abraham and he walks him outside and he says, Look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he says, So shall your offspring be. Friends, You ever been out of the city on a dark, clear night where you could see the stars real good? You ever looked up? You ever marveled at how many there are? You ever wondered, I wonder how many there actually really are up there. You ever wonder that? Well, hey, just for fun, let's do this today. Um, It's obviously been a fun, exciting day already. Um, Turn to your neighbor and take a guess. Just guess, how many stars do you think scientists say there are in the known universe? What do scientists say? So, quick guess, you have 10 seconds. Just take your best educated or uneducated guess with your neighbor. But you have to commit. How many stars in the known universe? All right, there are no prizes, so don't spend too much time. Here, and no cheating, no using Siri today, that's, that's illegal. I see you over there, high school kids. No cell phones in church. Your parents, Pastor Mark, get on that. No. Hey, here's what scientists say. Scientists estimate that there are 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. And the average number of stars in each one of those galaxies is about 100 million. So that means there are... One billion trillion stars in the universe we can observe right now. One billion trillion. That means this. That means if we took all the stars out there that we can see and we put them in little teeny groups of a trillion. And just to give you a sense of that, a thousand thousands is a million, a thousand millions is a billion, a thousand billions is a trillion. So if we put the stars in little groups of a trillion there would be a billion of those little groups. Does that just blow your mind? Does that just absolutely rock your world? That's one with 21 zeros after it. Here's the point. 
God isn't coming to Abraham in this moment and saying, Hey, Abraham, hang on, buddy. I am just going to barely come through and squeak one out here for you. Just hang on. No. What God is telling Abraham here is that even though it's been a long time and even though he's only getting older and even though he may not even be able to see how things are going to work out, God is going to use him and his family in a way that is immeasurable, inconceivable, unimaginable, in a way that will absolutely blow his mind. In fact, Abraham, God says, the immensity of how fully and completely I am going to keep my promise to you is like the sheer number of stars in the sky. Have no doubt that I will come through. And way more. And in a way that's way huger than you can even possibly imagine. So you don't lose hope, Abraham. Don't lose faith. You can have confidence in me. Friends, some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to take a nighttime walk and let God whisper in your ear. Don't lose hope. I've still got this. I know you don't see it. I know you don't understand. I know the path is not clear. But you can have confidence in me. And now, at this point of the story, we get to one of those moments where Abraham shows us what life as as one of God's people should look like. This is Genesis 15, verse 6. It simply says this, Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. The word believed here is the Hebrew word amen or amen. And it's our word for today. It's the, it's the quality, it's the character, it's the, uh, it's the part of Abraham that we're looking at and want to emulate. And here's what this word means. It means yes. It means, I affirm that this is true. It means, I trust in what you are saying. It means, I believe you and believe you so much that I will order my life around this belief. And for Abraham, it means I will continue to order my life around this belief. You see, this is why at the end of a prayer, we say, Amen. Yes, I affirm that it's true. This is why when a pastor preaches, good congregants, even reserved, engineer-type congregants, will sometimes say, they will sometimes say, they're not a bouncy church, Luis. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's because what we're saying is we're declaring. We are a... That we affirm what's been prayed or we affirm what's been preached or we affirm what's been said and we want to believe it so deeply that now our lives reflect that truth. The Bible calls this living by faith. And we're told that it's actually, listen to this, the only way to please God, to trust God, even when the evidence doesn't look so good, even when the path isn't clear, even when it's not real simple. Trust Him. Follow Him. Believe Him such that your life falls in line. That is what the Bible says. Pleases God. And it ple- and Abraham pleases God here. In verse 6 it says um, that it's credited to him as righteousness. And that word there, credited, is actually a math term. 
And what's being said is to believe God, to trust God, even when we don't have all the evidence and even when things don't look so good, uh, the sum total of that kind of faith, that kind of faith equals righteousness. That kind of faith equals the right way to live. That kind of faith equals the right way to respond to our Heavenly Father. To trust Him, even when it's hard to trust Him. Friends, this is a huge question. This is maybe like the, the central question for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Is there some place in your life God is calling you to trust Him like this? To believe Him so deeply that your life will fall in line even when there's uncertainty and there's fear and there's doubt in a way that, that maybe doesn't make sense or maybe is a little bit even or a lot scary. But God says... Trust me because I'm trustworthy and I'm doing more than you can possibly imagine behind the scenes. Now, now let me say this. Living this way, living a life of faith, trusting God like this, it is not easy. It's easy to preach about. It's hard to live. And the Bible, time and time again, affirms this. Affirms that living by faith is not a simple task. In fact, even Abraham himself will continue to struggle to believe that God will come through for him. Even after this this amazing encounter, he will still continue to wrestle with trusting God. Because the waiting for Abraham is not over. This will not end it. And the challenges and obstacles for Abraham and God's people are only just beginning. So at the end of this chapter, because God understands, it is hard to live by faith. It is tough to believe me. It is, it is difficult to trust against all odds. Because God understands this, at the end of this chapter, he gives Abraham a gift. He gives him, uh, and eventually all of his ancestors, this thing to instill confidence that will, that will inspire us when we hit times of doubt and fear and insecurity. God and Abraham actually go through this ceremony together to form what's called a covenant. A covenant. And this is the moment where they formalize the nature of their relationship together. And when you think about ceremonies, uh, why do we have them? When you have a ceremony of some kind, this is what God has here. He has a covenantal ceremony with Abraham. Why do we have ceremonies? What do ceremonies sort of tell us? Here's what they tell us. They tell us something really important. Something of great significance is either about to happen or has already happened. I was thinking about that this week. Um, we celebrate a number of ceremonies in our culture. Uh, like... And they all say the same thing. They all say something important. Um, the, the most important athletic competition in the world is the Olympic Games. And so when it begins, it begins with the opening ceremonies, right? We have wedding ceremonies because marriage is important. We have graduation ceremonies because education is important. We have award ceremonies because we value success and achievement, the leader of our nation is a really important office. And so when a new president is elected, we have an inaugural Ceremony. Ceremony means this is a significant thing. You see, and that's what God enters into with Abraham here. A relationship of the utmost 
importance. Again, this is called a covenant. And in this covenantal ceremony, Abraham, or God asked Abraham to bring some animals. He says, bring some animals, Abraham. We're going to do this covenantal ceremony right now. He says, cut them in half. And then he says, arrange the halves opposite of one another. And all of a sudden, it starts to get really weird, doesn't it? You're thinking, what just happened to our story? I mean, if they wanted to agree, couldn't they just shake on it? I mean, if you're going to get real serious, you could do like the cowboy thing and like, or my daughter would say like pinky promise. We could pinky promise God. Like, couldn't we just do that? But no, they do this whole animal thing. Um, it was, it's awkward to us. It's strange to us. It seems even barbaric to us. But for the people of this day and age, it was actually very common. You see, here's the deal. In the ancient world, when two parties made an agreement with one another, they would actually go through the steps of acting out the consequences. They would act out the consequences of of breaking your vows or of not following through or of not making good on your side of the promise. This was called the curse of the covenant. And what would happen is that after the animals were cut in half, both parties would walk between the animals as a way of saying, if I do not do everything I've promised to do in this relationship, then may I be as these animals. May I be cut to pieces. May my body be broken. May my blood be spilled. I told you this is a very serious agreement between God and Abraham. Now now one other thing to know is this, if a king was making a covenant with one of his subjects, with someone who was lower than than him or beneath him, a king would never walk through the pieces. Only the subject would. You see, in a covenant between a king and a subject, only the subject would have to pay the price if if the covenant was broken. A king would never say, hey, if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, then may I be sort of broken in half or cut to pieces. A king would say, like, if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, then tough, I'm the king. But if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, walk on through, you're gonna pay the penalty. That's how it usually went in a covenant between kings and subjects. But listen, friends, listen to what we read in Genesis chapter 15 at the end of this story. This is what makes this covenant relationship amazing and unlike any other the world had or has ever seen. Is what it says. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. And and just so you know, um, these are images that are used throughout the Old Testament to describe God, specifically God on the top of Mount Sinai, because, because God is indescribable. And so these are just images that, that, uh, that people use to describe the presence of God. And so now God has shown up on the scene. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Do you see what has just happened here? Abraham never walks between the pieces. Only God walks between the pieces. This is a covenant unlike anyone has ever seen. The God of the universe, the King of kings, says to Abraham, if I break my end of the promise, if I do not live up to my end of this covenant, then may I be like these animals. Broken into pieces, my body broken, my blood shed. But also, but also, God says, to take it even further, Abraham, if you don't live up to your end of this covenant, if you aren't faithful to me, then in that case, I again will also 
be the one who pays the price. Abraham never has to walk through. He's not going to pay the price. God will pay the price no matter who messes up in this relationship. And the message here, loud and clear to Abraham, in the midst of his turmoil, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his longing to continue to believe and trust in God is this. You want to know why you can trust me, Abraham? You want to know why you can believe me even when all the evidence around you seems to be saying you can't? It's because I am a God who has put everything on the line for you. You can believe in me, Abraham, because I'm believable. You can trust me, Abraham, because I am trustworthy. You can put faith in me, Abraham, because I am faithful even to the point of giving my own life for your mistakes. And friends, now all of a sudden, the words of Jesus in the New Testament ring forth with an an entirely new message. Listen to this. But that is the backdrop. In the same way, Jesus said, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see that? See, the covenant between humanity and God is broken. We've disappointed God time and time and time again. And what's the agreement? When we fall short, when Abraham and Abraham's ancestors fall short of fulfilling the covenant and of living up to the promise, who will pay the price? But see, for God, it's not just lip service. He actually does it. He actually comes to earth. And his blood is spilled and his body is broken so that the covenant can remain. And that's why today, friends, God says there's a new ceremony. There's a new moment. There's a new thing for you to act out, to to declare and demonstrate and remember what is central in your life and what all of your life should be ordered around. This new truth that you should believe so deeply that everything else in your life follows suit, falls in line. And that ceremony that we celebrate is called the Lord's Supper, Communion. And it's where we take the bread and remember that God's body was broken. Not because he messed up in the covenant, but because we did. Where where Christ's blood was shed. Not because he did anything wrong. He was perfect. He was sinless. But because of what we did. And now our relationship with God is not based on the old covenant, but on this new covenant, on the sacrifice of God himself. His body broken and his blood shed. And so next week... For the first time during kid-friendly summer Sundays with our our children in here with us, we're going to come to the table and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to remember that our God loved us so much, valued relationship, covenant relationship with us so much that he would give his life to preserve it. So this today... I want you to just sit with that. I think the easiest thing to do would be like to race to the communion table and take it. But you know what? I'd like us just to sit on that for a week. And next week when we come back, we're going to celebrate. We're going to declare. We're going to remember that we are people of the covenant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being faithful to your word. For knowing us enough to know that we would never be able to live up or fulfill lives of perfect faith and obedience and trust in you 
And so you, you paid the price for us. You gave your life. Your, your blood was spilled. That we might still have a relationship with you, Lord. And now through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can, in response to that grace, in response to that love, uh, live lives of faith. Help us in that, Lord. We need you and we love you and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.